Now turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. The Holy Bible reads, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. Now let me say something to you about that. When God touches a man and gives a man certain gifts and uh, a certain anointing and unction uh, and gives him revelations about what will happen, what is happening now in the present and in the future. You may think that that is a hard thing. It's not hard for God to do it. And it's not, when God is doing it, it's not hard for the man to receive it. It comes to him rather easily. And, and, and that's for those of you who do not understand that and you don't know that. And if you're not careful, because it comes to you so easily, because God has chosen by his grace to give you that gift and that talent and that ability, that you can get puffed up and proud and arrogant because of the revelations that God shows you and he does not show other people. See, there were things that God showed to Paul that other people couldn't see. And so God made him to be the teacher and the preacher that he was because he understood things from God and from heaven that other people did not understand. Even Peter had to recognize the authority that God gave Paul. Paul rebuked Peter. And still Peter, who was considered the chief apostle, or at least one of the chief apostles who walked with Jesus. Paul never walked with Jesus as an apostle. As he said, he came later on, but he said, I am uh, what I am by the grace of God, born out of due time. And, and, and other people will recognize your uh, God-given authority and, and, uh, and they will recognize and respect what you say because they don't have that gift. And so um, I, I just thought I'd give you a little insight into how that works. But if you're not careful, and God knows it, that's why he gives us thorns in the flesh to keep us humble and to keep, our, keep us grounded and with our feet on the ground. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that means three times, I prayed to the Lord about it. It was so bad he didn't want it in his life. 
so painful, so difficult, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. And this is so powerful, so true, and so counter uh, what human beings think. You know is God. Now, beloved, on last week, we dealt with a mini-series within a mini-series within a series. And we dealt with the question, what if my spouse is my thorn in the flesh? Can a spouse be a thorn in the flesh? And we're not going to wrap that up tonight. We're going to, we're going to uh, hear the answer that Dr. Uh, Roger Barrier plus we're going to repeat a little bit of what was said and uh, so at this time let's pray Holy Father God I praise you and I thank you for your holy word your wisdom your uh, imparting to us knowledge and understanding and insight and Lord I do pray that you will help us uh, to see how counter this passage is to our thinking and uh, help us to understand this is of divine origin, this whole passage, as is all of your holy word. And it is therefore so true, not only uh, as far as words are concerned, but in our reality. And so, Holy Father God, I pray that you will grant me your energy, your strength, your unction, your anointing, and the power of your Holy Spirit to uh, teach and to preach your Holy Word and to help people to understand uh, how that we can have different kinds of thorns in the flesh. And as we will see tonight, that uh, the reason why Paul did not name it, the wisdom in him not naming his thorn in the flesh, uh, is so powerful. We give you the glory, praise, and honor, and help us to understand that we have a cross to bear, and uh, we have uh, some thorns that we must endure to to make sure that we're humble and depending upon you. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray and for his sake. Amen. Okay, dear Roger, dear Roger, I am a long-time Christian who has been married to the same woman for 42 years. Uh, and, and by the way, let me say to you that the test 
one of the tests of being a born-again Christian if you're truly saved uh, the tree in the garden if you will is uh, the temptation to leave your marriage but you don't even in your mind when you have a bad spouse uh, as I've told you before uh, you got the right one baby uh, so, so you'll be better off staying with the spouse that you married the first time by the way Um, the Amazon founder's wife, um, I forget, I forget the Amazon founder's name now, starts with a B, what's his name, uh, Bezos, yeah, what's the first name, Jeff Bezos, him and his wife are billionaires, and uh, evidently they both were sick of each other because he already was messing around with the woman he's with now. They're not married yet. But uh, his wife got married not too long after their divorce. And today we find out she is divorcing her second husband. She uh, in just less than right at two years and of course he was supposed to be a sweetheart you know he was a teacher evidently they had something going on before the divorce the original divorce and uh, she liked him and said he was so good with the children and all of that and so she was the first one to get married and she thought it was gonna be a nice wonderful change and nice to soft sweet man who loves the children and cares for the children and knows all of that and uh, and uh, uh, it has not worked out uh, and that's why I tell you people you'll be better off acting like adults and staying together even if it's a bad marriage and make it work and, and, and it's easier if you are saved and you're born again. Uh, divorces just don't work out. And, it's, and, it's, and, and you're creating a constant painful death for yourself when you go that route. Anyway, he was married to this woman for 42 years. And... Uh, uh, he said, my experience is like Paul's in 2 Corinthians 1, 2, and 7. Uh, 12, verse 7, rather. Uh, she's a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what his thorn was, but I know mine. My wife is my thorn. I believe there are many men and women who feel that way. Now, now let me say this to you. God knows what he is doing. And God 
has made marriage in such a way I believe because God wants you to feel some of the pain if you will that he feels about people in your wonderful nuclear family disobeying you he wants you to learn how to forgive like he has forgiven and so I, I do know this I mean I think every every uh, husband and every wife uh, can say at times at least that my spouse is a thorn in the flesh it is uh, God has arranged marriage so to uh, for there to be uh, allowed he has allowed for there to be friction to rub off some of the rough edges in your life to make you husband and wife a better Christian a better person See, this is, this is part of the, uh, some of the benefits of marriage that, that you don't want to hear about and you don't like. You just think it's supposed to be romantic and funny. We're supposed to go out on dates and, and I receive flowers and uh, we have sex every now and then and so forth and go to on vacations and we just live the high life. Well, that's not. God has more purposes involved in marriage than that. And the people who go through it and come out on the other end, uh, they reap the benefits that God has for you. He goes on to say, she is angry, bitter, constantly nagging and berating. She has no friends and argues with me every time I want to go to church. And I explained to you last week, now if you have a uh, spouse like that, when you're trying to serve the Lord and they get extra animated uh, there's some demon activity going on there don't let not one devil hinder you from serving God don't allow that to happen God comes first God comes first my dear friends doesn't mean you have to get a divorce so I don't go away saying I said that I didn't say that I said God comes first and whatever God has commanded you to do that's what you better do she has hurt our daughter so much now you know that this is a true story uh, just like you can you can watch a movie if it's based on facts you know it's a true story you know it's a true story when they start giving de details like this. This really happened. She has hurt our daughter so much that we are estranged from them. Now that can happen. I believe it happened in, in, in his family and it has happened in my family even though I have uh, avenues of communication with all of my children. Still. And, and, and I'm not going to let what my wife did in not loving them disturbed my relationship with my children and so uh, uh, but but I, I do know they're hurt and they've been hurt for many years so hurt 
that my daughters, my oldest daughters, have sought other women. Now they're in touch with their grandmothers and 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 other women and so-called mentors, and their grandmothers are not that really not that good for them. But they 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 did not get any love or any kind of of support or girlfriend kind of conversation stuff from their mother and uh, they never really talked about anything seriously and so they have been hurt by that as I mentioned to you last week but I'm not going to focus too much on that tonight we're going to get down to another section here shortly I'm just reminding you of what we dealt with last week I could go on he said with the details but you get the idea recently during a marriage counseling session after 42 years he's still trying to get uh, marriage counseling with his wife now really in my opinion that's just too old if y'all don't can't get it together and make up your mind what you're gonna do even with the problems you really counseling is not going to help you at 42 years as far as I'm concerned uh, folks are already uh, set in their own ways and, and all, the best thing you can do is pray uh, and and God does have an avenue for a man uh, you got a cantankerous wife like that God uh, has made it clear that you can uh, go on the roof and get away from her uh, go out into the wilderness and get away from that angry cantankerous woman and uh, and I believe that more men ought to take that avenue instead of having a heart attack dealing with a devilish Jezebel woman anyway we discovered that she was sexually abused by her father from the ages of four until she was ten that's what happened in their case and I told you uh, my wife was acting like this woman and I asked her was she sexually abused by her father or any friend of the family or her brothers or anybody because that will mess up a person's life see and see this is the reason why I've asked all of my children more than once now, I have pretty much been with my children every day of their lives so I don't see how that could have happened but uh, uh, maybe in a Sunday school or whatever, I don't know. Uh, I, you know, I didn't know. But I would ask them that because what people do is something like that happens and then they turn 45 and all of a sudden they bring this up. And in my humble view, it's just too late. It's good that you finally brought it up, but you have lived over half your life dealing with this and lying to your husband lying to your father lying to your family and um, uh, it's pretty much too late to deal with it you've already lived a very hurt life and you have hurt others uh, my wife told me that that, that never happened and my children have told me that that has never happened so I have to go by their word but I made sure I asked them not only once uh, several times and uh, you know why because I don't want them to live their lives with that 
dirtiness and filthiness and sin on their conscience, their minds, their souls and spirits. Um, case in point, uh, the big family, Christian family, uh, the father allowed that foolishness to happen, the Dugers. I didn't want any. I don't. I didn't want any of that in my family, because the, the, you're going to have the same problems that they have had. Supposed to be a Christian family. Sometimes fathers are too loosey goosey in the family. People are evil and wicked, and I believe that fathers need to make sure that. Uh, the boys are separated from the girls and that uh, everybody is uh, doing what is right and pure and holy and not uh, even give a chance for something like that to happen. And I blame Mr. Duker, the father, for this foolishness that happened with his son molesting his sisters and almost messing up their marriages and lives. So, uh, and I say to all fathers tonight, don't wait till they graduate and they go off to college and they are 30 years old and ask them, did something happen? I know it's tough, I know it's rough, I, I know you don't wanna have to bring that up, but it's your job to do that while they are with you so that they don't have to go through they don't have to go through the hell they're going to have to go through and then put other people like their husband through hell. And then living with a lie. And I, I, I know people don't like for me to say, but you wait to 30, 35, 40 years old before you say that you were molested. Uh, that's too late. It's too late. She buried the pain, he said, and shame for most all of our marriage that that is a betrayal of the marriage as far as I'm concerned you women who lie about things and cover up things in your marriage in your families it's a betrayal I don't care what happened because you are constantly being uh, a pain not only to yourself but a pain in the neck to your husband and he doesn't even know why why you acting that way So I, I, I thank God that I have never been molested. Uh, so I don't know what that feels like. I thank God I don't. But I do know it's going to cause pain in the future. I know that. I know that there's some serious damage uh, done there that's going to cause pain and hurt in the future in that person's life uh, and, and, and these people and they know they can tell if somebody's gone through that they they gather together and most many of them turn out to do great things Oprah for example Tyler Perry for example um, Larry Reed for example I mean, they. I mean, they. 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 They turn out to become be very gifted and talented people. I, mean, I guess that's just God's mercy, 
and grace and, 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 and favor upon them for that to try to cover up that pain. I don't know. Anyway, until finally the rage boiled over. We've been to a Christian counselor and things are not going very well. This is a true story. I was told that healing the sex abuse damage may take years. It's going to take a lifetime, particularly if you wait till you're 45 years old. And, and it's not going to be healed. It's not going to be healed. It's too much damage that's been done, not only by the perpetrator, but by her lying and carrying on this lie inside of a marriage. Knowing what happened, but not telling your husband the closest relationship you will ever have. She has lived a lie, and the worst thing that you can do in a marriage is live a lie. And some of you women who can't get any intimacy, like you want it in your, in your marriage, let me tell you something. This goes for men and women. The greatest aphrodisiac in the world is honesty. There's no greater turn on than honesty and telling the truth. Now, I know some of you women are so sick, you love for a man to lie to you. You'd rather hear a lie than the truth. Some of you women with the silly-minded syndrome. No, yeah, I don't care if you get mad at it, but the, some of you women are that way. You'd rather hear a lie than uh, for a man to tell you the truth. And you're so silly-minded, you, you get turned on by the lie. But most human beings get turned on by the truth. When a man and a woman gets naked with you about how they really are and who they really are and their failures and their sins and their faults and you, 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 you detect no guile in them, it's, a, it's the greatest turn on in the world. And some of you can't get uh, affection you can't get the cuddle after sex and the lingering after sex because nobody wants to cuddle with a liar and a fake and phony person. He goes on to say, my problem is that I don't know how much longer I can hold out. I've prayed for her healing, but unfortunately, I've seen little improvement and I'm in that same situation. So much so now, God has given me the liberty to pray for my wife's salvation in public. And I know some of my, some of my sweet evangelical friends don't like it. Because, you know, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And I know she's not happy about that. And uh, uh, happy wife, happy life. So I don't believe any of that foolishness. I believe that we as Christians ought to already be happy and ought to tell the truth, confess our sins, and examine ourselves and see whether or not we be in the faith. Jesus is the one who makes people truly happy and joyful, not manipulation by the husband or the wife. See, if she's mad about that, if she's mad about my praying for her and and saying things uh, about our marriage of 34 years, which she's already heard thousands of times, then there's something wrong somewhere. 
I believe she's lost and on her way to hell if she's angry about stuff like that. If it can benefit somebody else, she ought to be happy about it because she's the one who finally admitted it. Anyway, as a Christian, I'm committed to our marriage. That's where I'm at. And I, I, I don't do that for my wife. I know that, I know that hurts your heart. Your, your heart. You romantics out there. What? No, I don't. Uh, I'm not married to her because of some romantic connection. I, and I'm not staying married to her because of some romantic connection. I thank God for the good sex that we've always had. Uh, but there's, there, there's not any real romance uh, in our marriage. She knows it and I know it and God knows it. And it's okay for you to know it. But like this man, I'm committed to my marriage for God's sake because I fear God. I'm not going to initiate anything. And she has told me that she's not going to initiate anything. And I know some of you sweet American evangelicals saying, I tell you, if I was in an unromantic marriage, I'd just get out of it. I know that's why you messed up, because you're not committed to God. I'm committed to God. See, this ring I have on my finger, this is not for my wife. This ring I have on my finger, my daughters gave me this ring. They gave me several gospel rings that I wear. And I see it as a commitment to my God. I stay married to my wife for the glory of God because of his word. And I fear God and respect God and because I know that God can mess my life up with chastisement and rebuke if I try to do something that is not pleasing to his, uh, in his sight, like break my vows and divorce my wife. And then try to remarry somebody else. See, he, I, 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 I am not stupid, people. I'm not stupid, and I, I'm not gonna. I have no desire to do that. And if you talk to Mrs. Bezos, uh, uh, jumping out of a marriage and hopping into another marriage and divorce and remarry, marry, evidently, and she's got billions of dollars. So. Evidently, uh, that doesn't work either. And, I, and, and Jesus edited Moses about this thing regarding divorce and remarriage, which, is, which was rare. I mean, that's probably the only time he did edit Moses. And say, so if you do this, you're going to commit adultery, and you're going to cause the other person to commit adultery, and you are living adultery. Now, you, you, you folks out there who think you're theologians, you can say what you want about that. But it's for, listen, let me help you. You divorce and remarry, and you don't have true, verifiable, biblical grounds. You're committing adultery. The person you married is committing adultery. According to Jesus, you are living in adultery now you, you say well oh, God can forgive that no 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 wait a minute no uh, wait up hold up doc God can forgive an instance of adultery and has done so 
But when you choose to live in adultery, I don't know how, where the forgiveness is coming in because you are actively committing a sin every day of your life. You are the walking adulterer and adulteress every day of your life. Not only when y'all have sex, you've already taken somebody else's husband or somebody else's wife. So you're living in adultery. That's a different ball game, Jack. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, God, God, we ought to get off of that. God will forgive. Yeah, God will forgive your instance of adultery. But he's not, I don't know, I don't know about, I don't know where you're getting the forgiveness from if you're continuing in sin. Unless you're confessing it every day, Lord, I'm, in, I'm committing adultery because I'm living in adultery, please forgive me. If that's what you're talking about, maybe so. I don't know. Anyway, he goes on to say, but I have no grounds for divorce. I feel trapped in a cage with no hope. Can you give me some advice on how to survive my thorn? Now, Dr. Rick begins to unpack this for him. He does it in a very loving way. Okay? And, and, and he, he, he basically unpacks the passage. So I'm just going to share with you. I'm going to continue to preach the sermon that God gave me. I'm just sharing this with you because this came up in the first one or two uh sermons in this series. Dr. Rick goes on to say, regarding thorns, of course, you are referring to Paul's thorn in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Because of these surpassingly great revelations, Paul's God-given visions of the workings of heaven in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And then Dr. Rick says, before I answer your question directly, let me give you some background regarding thorns. The word thorn is literally the Greek word for stake. It describes the primary Babylonian method of crucifixion that was to sharpen a large tree limb and impale people on the stake. Paul had a stake twisting in his body to keep him humble. You realize, Dr. Rick said, that everyone, oh uh, no, uh, what's his, uh, <laughs> I'm getting the names mixed up. The man's name is Dr. Roger. Uh, and I guess we can call him Dr. Rick, this other guy. But uh, his name is Rick. He said, you realize, Rick, that everyone has a thorn. Everyone has a thorn. Everyone has some problem, trouble, or sin that uh, buffets them, a weight, the sin that so easily besets us. It's a struggle. 
my struggle, the sin that, and the temptation that I struggle with. And I thank God that I have a wife who has helped me with that because I struggle with this one thing. Anybody who knows me knows that I'm not about the money. I'm not about money. I have no interest in that other than to do ministry. Uh, my struggle, my temptation, my tree in the garden is the amazing God created fat P-H-A-T women. God, God, that's the greatest thing God ever did to me outside of salvation. Not a man, a woman. And that's my weakness right there. And I thank God I have a wife who has helped me with that. Anytime I want sex, I, I can have it because I have to have it. Ever since I was a, a, a youngster, when I first saw my Aunt Hattie's ashtray, ashtray at my grandmother's house, what a well-formed woman on uh, skis, um, doing, uh, I guess it's water skiing, behind a boat. I said, my, my, my. Woo-wee! Yes, sir. And even to this day, I have, no I have no interest in fake women with fake breasts and fake butts, and I can tell. But the, the form of a woman is my, my weakest uh, the weak, my weak point, huh? So, well, uh, what about yours? That's mine. What is yours? Weights. Now that that that's different than a thorn. Now I'm just sharing with you. You know, we're talking about weights and weaknesses, and we're talking about uh, sins that so easily beset. As he's bringing all that down. And uh, and so uh, and so you said, well, preacher, you are not to be like that. I, I can't believe a preacher who is so attracted to women and so forth and so on, even to this day. So you pray for me. OK. Anyway, something they wish they didn't have in their lives. And that's a fight. That's a struggle. And that's not my thorn in the flesh. But I have to battle that every day. How about you? What's yours? Is Paul alone with his thorn? No. Never. Uh, Dr. Roger said. Jesus had his cross. He even wore a crown of thorns. Go ahead, Roger. Every garden has his weeds. Now, that's something that... Uh, I believe that the only f member in our family who ever had a garden, a real garden, was my grandmother Tempe. She would go out and do stuff in that garden. I don't know of anybody else in our family who has ever had a garden worth anything. But she did. She did. And, and, and I learned about those thorns. She would plant beautiful roses, but they always had thorns, man, some serious thorns. And uh, 
and I was hurt by some of those thorns sometime. Every rose has its thorns. Every life, every life, every life has its strife. This is why you hear me pray, Holy Father God, deliver uh, us from our afflictions, our distresses, our tribulations, our troubles, our trials, our temptations, our tests, and our tensions. Now, all of those other things, those T's, I learned that from the old church, from my, my dad and mom, but mainly Mother Gladys Beeman, my grandmother, and Mother Breelove. They had those T's, tribulations, troubles, trials, temptations, tests, five of them. I added tensions. That's what we're talking about here. See? And I asked God to deliver me from all of that. I added that myself by the grace of God. And you might want to add it to your prayer. There are many guesses as to the nature of Paul's thorn. First, some suggest that he was ugly as a result of the beatings, whippings, and stonings that his body endured. So when he would, he would be concerned about that because when he appeared before people to plant a church, they, uh, they you know, he, he didn't want to look like Frankenstein. Uh, it was said of Paul in 2 Corinthians 10.10, his letters are weighty but his bodily appearance is weak. He doesn't look that great in real life. He doesn't look as good in person as he does on paper. And the truth is many of us are that way. Have you ever heard somebody preach on the radio and then you met them and said, what in the world, who is this? Five times he was beaten with rods, which was a Roman punishment, whereby a prisoner was strapped between two sawhorses and beaten in the back. Early second century writings tell us that Paul walked stooped over and couldn't look up. He was so beaten down. Three times he injured, or rather, three times he endured the Jewish punishment of 39 stripes whipped into his back. Now you can get injured in such a way that, and there's no doubt about it, that you, you walk funny or you walk stooped over. I mean, that, that happens even to this day. Now, I, I, I dare you to, to just sit out there in a Walmart parking lot and see uh, people walking into the store. You'll see all kinds of walks, okay, strange walks. And my wife is laughing. She should not be laughing because one day she might be walking like that. And... Uh, and I'll tell you, I can tell you this, uh, whether you like it or not, I mean, whether you, you want to criticize me or not. Uh, I think I'm, I'm getting old. You know why, you know the main reason why, if I go into a grocery store, the main reason why I grab a cart real quick, even when I'm not, I don't need a cart, 
I'm using that cot to help hold me up. I I I I, I gotta have something. If I'm just gonna buy three things, and I normally don't buy. See, if I go to the grocery store, it's because I want something special, and I want to get it. That's why I'm not that big on people, us ordering stuff and they, people bring it. I like to pick my stuff out. There's something special that I want to have. Because I don't, I don't always grab the first thing that, that you see. I go back four or five, you know, all the way to the back to get my stuff. I don't want nobody's hand on it. <laughs> and so I, if I'm just going to get two or three things... I get me a cart in a hurry every time. I don't just walk in the store and just grab it in my hand. Uh, and, and even now, I may do that with Aldi because they want you to pay a quarter for a, a, a cart. I, I'm, I don't want to even go through that. So what I'll do with Aldi is, and they let me do it because they, they know me. Aldi, Aldi, however you pronounce it, is what I do is uh, I, I go get one of those 10-cent bags or I bring my bag with me. And I'm, I go and get my two or three things. Anyway, second, others suggest that he suffered debilitating malaria. This lifelong malady was prevalent and uh, incapacitating when he was in Asia Minor on his first missionary journey. The resulting fevers are often lifelong problems. Kind of like how the coronavirus plague is with people today. They're, they call it long COVID because it's not. It, it, it's, 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 it continues to do damage in the lives of some people. Third, he may well have suffered from epilepsy. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel. To you, and even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus Himself. Galatians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. The ancient world believed that epilepsy was caused by demons. People spit in order to ward off demons. The word scorn above is actually the Greek word to spit at. Fourth, most probably, he suffered, that is Paul, suffered with eye trouble. In Galatians 6.11, Paul wrote, See with what large letters I write with my own hand. In Galatians 4.15, Paul wrote, You would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me if you could. Some believe he had serious eye problems, and yet he was the greatest preacher at that time uh, and the greatest writer at that time. Can you imagine? Some of us, we can't even type on a, on a computer without... Uh, a light. You got. You have the computer right there. You got the light from the computer. Some uh, computers have the lighted keyboards, and some of you still got to have the light on to see that. He didn't have electric lights. Had to use a candle or something. Could hardly see. That's what many believe. 
was his thorn in the flesh. But the interesting thing is, Paul never said what it was. And, and you'll see why here shortly, if not this week, next week. If the Lord tarries is coming and we live. In Acts 23, during his trial, he chided the high priest. One of the guards slapped Paul and said, Don't you know that you are speaking to the high priest? That was the first Will Smith slap right there, if you will. Paul replied, I didn't perceive that he was the high priest. Could it be that Paul did not know who was talking and, and did not, uh, because he couldn't see him? Do you know it's very dangerous to have bad eyesight and to be going out here without your glasses and driving and going places and doing stuff? That's very dangerous. Very dangerous. Remember that at his conversion, Paul was blinded and scales fell from his eyes. Could it be? Now here's the point. Why didn't Paul tell us the nature of his thorn? So all of us could identify with Paul. If he said, my thorn is eye trouble, then someone would say, well, my thorn is worse. My thorn is worse than Paul's. That's just how we are in our sinful nature. God's grace may cover your eye trouble, Paul, but I'm not sure he has enough grace to cover mine, my unique troubles. So Roger tells Rick, notice that Paul pleaded with God to remove his thorn. However, while God did not give him what he wanted, God did answer his need. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. You have anything in your life that you prayed and asked God to take away from you? And, and he heard your prayers, but he has not taken it away. See, I know, I know you, some of you all are coming out of the prosperity gospel movement. Even during the plague, you still think that that's the way to go. That everything you pray and everything you command, like you got some kind of power, God's going to do it for you. God's, God's not going to do anything he doesn't want to do. Okay, you need to understand, he, he still runs this world. Don't you get it twisted. And he, 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 he uh, uh, runs you. You don't run him. Prayer is not about controlling God. And God can show you better than he can tell you. Do you have anything in your life that you pray that God would take away? Now, God forbid some of you people are so wicked and some of you are so lost that if you're praying for your spouse to die from some in, for, for some insurance money or to get rid of them, you are of your father, the devil. If you are saved and born again, that should never enter into your heart, your mind, or your soul or spirit. You hear me very well now. I don't care how much of a thorn in the flesh they are. If you're saved and born again, death of the other party of the spouse listen to me 
should never even enter your heart, mind, soul, or spirit. Period. There's something wrong if that is happening. You're lost and on your way to hell. You're a murderer like your father, the devil. There's some things that should not have to be said, but in this day and time, with the devil's loose, they have to be said. They got to be said. Some of you people, you got married to a person, and now you want to kill them. Well, now you know that's the devil, don't you? You know that's the devil, don't you? For you to even have that in your mind. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness or my strength is made perfect in weakness second corinthians 12 8 okay now my dear friends at that junction i have a whole lot more to say with the help of my son daniel ezekiel but i'm going to go ahead and close out because this is an insert that uh, I'm putting into the series and into the sermon. And believe it or not, we have at least a third part of that. And I'll share that with you if the Lord tarries is coming. And we live as we deal with this important subject, uh, the prayer that God will not answer for any Christian or child of God. Let's pray. Holy Father God, I pray in the holy name of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I praise you, Lord, and I thank you for giving me the strength and the mind to have both of these services back to back. And Lord, I thank you for how you are enlightening our hearts and minds through your holy word and by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that you will have your Holy Spirit to speak to the hearts of your people, that we get a good understanding of this very important passage, and that we apply it to our lives. And at the same time, as I've already preached the gospel tonight, I pray still for lost souls to be saved, in case more people have gathered on. And Holy Father God, I pray that you would open the eyes of the blind, unstop deaf ears, and help them to believe the gospel and be saved. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I've already preached the gospel as I always do in every service. But if you missed it the first time, please understand the only way that you can be saved is by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way that you can be saved from hell is by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ said these most important words, the most important words in the history of the world, when he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So dear friend, if you want to get saved from hell and go to heaven when you die, 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou you shall be saved. If you want to uh, get saved tonight, the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Believing in your heart in the Lord Jesus Christ. Follow me in the sinner's prayer. Repeat after me phrase by phrase. If you want to get saved from the burning hill and saved to heaven. Holy Father God, I admit that I am a sinner and I need to be saved from hell. For Jesus Christ's sake, please have mercy and grace upon my soul. And forgive me of all of my sins, my failures, and my faults. As I believe in your Holy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered, bled, and died on the cross for my sins, was buried and rose on the third day. Lord Jesus Christ, please come into my heart and into my spirit and save my wretched soul tonight from the terrors of hell to the peace of heaven. In Jesus Christ's name I pray and for his sake, amen. Dear friends, as the music plays, may God bless you and keep you is my prayer. Make sure you pray without ceasing. If it be the Lord's will, I'll be back here tomorrow. And uh, make sure you understand that his grace is sufficient. And he will give you the strength even when you feel weak. God bless you, dear friends. Until next time. <laughs>